The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan for the fans of the Houston Astros. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball Sunday morning. I got a special guest today, special guest co-host, Mr. Matt Thomas from Sports Talk 790. Matt, what is up, buddy? Why am I up with you so early on a Sunday morning? I mean, am I getting like a French toast Eggs Benedict out of this or something? If you were here, you probably would. I don't know what's going on in the kitchen. That'd be That's become uncomfortable, so we'll just progress. So you do the afternoon show on 790. Is that the prime spot? Would you rather do the morning or are you not a morning guy? No, noon to three is just fine by me. Just yeah. fine. I do a lot of stuff with the Rockets. I'm I'm one of their radio announcers. I do the PA and I've done morning drive before on a couple of different occasions in my life. And um, it takes a special kind of human being to do that. So I'm not that special. I'm just... Yeah, an afternoon drive would be too tough because uh, of my Rockets commitment. So, noon to three is absolutely perfect. So, you do the Rockets uh, play-by-play when on the road, and then right. at home, you do the PA. Correct. And I'm, I'm actually doing the play-by-play today because Bill Orell is taking today off. So, Craig Ackerman, who normally does the play-by-play on the home radio games, is flipping over to TV, and I'm taking his spot. So, mm. uh and we had a game last night, and back at it tonight. This this NBA condensed schedule has uh, kicked all of our rear ends. Honestly, we've been <laughs> playing four and five games a week, and plus my radio show and my Astro commitments too. So, it's been very very hectic. So, which is harder to do play by play or do a radio show for three or four hours? Hmm. I don't know if it's the word harder is what I would use. Uh, they both present different challenges. Um, I, I enjoy play-by-play more, but it doesn't mean I don't enjoy the radio show. It, you know, play-by-play is, is what I, you know, as a kid grew up, wanted to be. I mean, I wanted to broadcast games and be at the sites and call the action. Talk show is something that just kind of developed as I got into the business. And um, it's a great way to interact with people. It gives you a chance to express your personality. When you're doing a play-by-play game, you're just calling the nuts and bolts of it. You don't have a lot of opportunities to inject opinion where, frankly, a talk show is nothing but three hours of opinion. So they're different. Um, but if you said I had to do one or the other, I probably would lean towards play by play. I think that's the dream of a lot of young kids doing the play by play. I think when you're a young kid dreaming about the radio, you're kind of more dreaming about like playing music. You know, I, it's well, just my opinion. Yeah, here's the thing, honestly, is that everybody thinks they can do it. And in theory, I could hire you tomorrow and do the show. But to talk for three hours, and granted, you get little commercial breaks in between, but to be 
entertaining to figure out what hits, what doesn't hit, when you don't have a single idea of how many people are listening, whether it be 27,000 or 2,700, is difficult. And just because somebody in Westheimer and San Felipe loves you doesn't necessarily mean somebody in the Gulf Freeway and Fuquay loves you. So you have to kind of figure out what the general audience wants. And again, you have to have opinions. You have to be able to make people think, make people laugh, have good interviews. It's, um, it's, I've had a lot of kids come to the radio station over the last decade plus, especially that have said, wow, I want to do this. And I said, okay, why don't you go do a podcast? And I want you to speak for 21 minutes uninterrupted. And they're like, um, yeah, I'm probably not going to be able to do that. <laughs> so let me ask you one more question before we start uh, talking about this week's games. Uh, what franchise is more dysfunctional, the Rockets or the Texans? Oh, for sure, the Texans. I mean, the Rockets are in rebuild. Yeah. And that's plain as day to see. I mean, they know they're going to start from scratch. I don't think the Texans have any clue what they think they're doing. Um, I, I'm astonished they went with a quarterback in the third round. I'm astonished that Jack Easterby is still in the building. I am, uh, and again, I, I should hold reservation on whether or not I like Nick Casario as a general manager, so I'm going to do that. But man, he has the look and the feel and the talk of a New England Patriot, and I don't think Tom Brady's walking in the doors of uh, NRG Stadium anytime soon. So, uh, needless to say, I, I think both are probably in for several years of rebuild and or futility. I just hope selfishly as a Rockets announcer that the Rockets' path is a lot shorter than the Texans' is. Right. It should be. They have less players to to try to build up. Yeah, and the NBA is frankly easier you know, to re to rebuild, you know, smart money spent on free agents. You can use the draft now. The Texans or the Rockets might have a top four pick. You know, they've done a lot of deals to, to acquire a lot of draft picks. So uh, I would hope it wouldn't take as long. But, yeah, the Texans are going to need a couple of years because um, they need talent, pure and simple, at just about every position on their football team. Yeah. All right, so let's go to the weekend review. Sunday, we lost 2-4, to four, and that was the game I actually went to. The Astros haven't won yet. I'm 0-2. But, you know, they lost 2-4. to four. McCullers actually had a decent day. You know, the two runs that he gave up, it, it was like a dribbler and a hit by pitch, and then that ball that went over first base. So kind of bad luck, but we had a two-run homer by Yuli. But it was good. You know, we were out on the road. We come back home, and we win three out of four. And then we play Seattle in the second, you know, home series. And we pretty much dominate them until the end. So we go six and two. How impressed were you with the Astros' homestand? Really impressed. Uh, and the number one thing to me, generally speaking, has been the starting pitching. If you think about the first, what, I don't know, 20 games of the season, maybe a little less, you saw, with the exception of Zach Greinke, nobody else going into the sixth inning. A lot of guys were barely getting to five. Several guys were getting under five. And that means you having to go to your bullpen a lot. And I'm not uh, – I, I like the Astros' bullpen. I don't love it. I would think probably every baseball team would feel the exact same way. But the yeah. best way to use a bullpen and enjoy it and relish it is when it's not overworked. And so when you looked at the first you know, 20 games of the year and you saw – 
a lot of guys getting a lot of opportunities and a lot of pitches being thrown and a lot of innings. And add on top of the fact that like guys like Brooks Railing and Joe Smith have not done a very good job. And uh, you didn't have Andre Scrubbed as an, you know, you just, you taxed them. And I think at some point you're going to tax a bullpen during the course of the year. It's just human. I just don't want it to be in early April. So if you were to look at how things have gone where the Astros have won now eight of 10, um, it frankly is a lot of, Deeper starting pitching. I mean, Jose Arquiti being a good example of that. Um, and Garcia doing a nice job the other day, giving up just the one run. So for me, this week has been more about starting pitching going deeper, and that certainly includes Lance McCullers. Yeah, Lance McCullers on Sunday went six innings, and then on Friday he went seven. And Arquiti did the same thing, six innings on Monday and seven yesterday on his birthday. So that was a great Birthday game, Javier went seven scoreless innings in the coffee stain game, which was pretty exciting. Grinky had the worst outing out of everybody with the four-run, four-inning. And then Garcia. Garcia's like, he has the worst luck. He gets, he has like a 2.7 ERA and zero run support. Yeah, this has not been a team that's been tearing the cover off the ball. I mean, case in point, yesterday they get all their runs in the first inning and then don't do anything after that. Uh, very few home runs have been hit this week. Uh, and not that I need to see that. I mean, it's uh, all the runs count the same, but there have been very few um, super crooked number innings where big home runs have made a difference. I mean, obviously yesterday, the three runs in the first was a big help. Um, but you know what? This is such a long, long marathon that you're going to have weeks where you're going to score 11 runs a game. Like, you know, think about the Astros in the first week of the season when they go to Oakland. I mean, they're just pounding the ball and hitting it all over the place. And then they cool off. And now it's a combination of really good pitching and just enough hitting. And so for me, uh, I don't want a lot of nine, eight games, frankly, because I think that teams ultimately get exposed three to one to me. Nights like this, three to four times a week, and you're getting victories is, is just the perfect combination. Yeah, they won a game two to zero. They won a game two to one. They lost a game zero to one. So a lot of good pitching there. Um, offensively, look at it. Yuli Gurriel had a couple home He had a, a two-run homer on that Sunday loss. Altuve, he came back Monday. I think that was his best game that day he came back. Alvarez has been pretty solid. Uh, who do you think's been pretty solid on the offensive side? I don't want to give away your player of the week. Well, I mean, so let's you will bring it up later. Yeah, I was just gonna say, uh, <laughs> if you want to go player of the month, it's got to be probably Yuli in terms of just being very, very consistent. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right, so we put out a poll every Saturday and let it run for uh 24 hours, but I actually forgot to do it because I told you before that I'm out of town and uh. So so the one I came up with, you know, because it's the beginning of the month, will the Astros be in first place in the AL West at the end of May? Absolutely. Yeah, I think so, too. 100%. The The poll was 94% to 6. You well, can kind I mean, of, think about Wait a minute. Think about your audience. I mean, I, I, I know. I'm going to assume there's some really, really diehard Astro fans listening to this right now. So if that, <laughs> that would make the sense. Here's the thing. Uh, I think Oakland and the Angels will hang around all year. I don't think Seattle will. Uh, but at the end of the day, this team has the best lineup of anybody in the division. Uh, and when you throw that in with if McCullers has turned the corner, 
Jose Arquiti is consistent. Zach gives you, you know, a good to great appearance, you know, what, four or five times a month. And then you've got, you know, reinforcements coming in with Fromberg coming in, hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, I just, I don't see it. So, you know, while Oakland's been a nice story, they're coming back to earth a little bit. I think the Astros are playing some really good baseball. And I just don't, at the end of the day, believe that Seattle will be a, a huge contender for the division. Yeah, I mean, not trying to be a homer, but the way the Astros have been playing the last 10 games, the way the way the pitching is going, it just seems like, you know, they're they're headed towards being in first place at the end, end of May. I just believe that. I, I mean, I guess if we did the poll for the other teams, they may say the same thing. I'm not oh, sure. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. I, you could change that poll question to May 10th, and I think you'd be in pretty good shape. <laughs> I mean, they're the hottest team in American League. I mean, and that's yeah. not saying a whole lot, but because there's been a lot of consistency. I mean, Kansas City has been a huge surprise so far this year. Boston has been a big surprise. The Yankees, I don't think, are an under 500 baseball team. But if you just look at what's happening in the last two weeks, there is not a hotter team in baseball uh, than the Astros. No, they've been doing very, very good. Um, so who did you have for the Players of the Week? And offensively... I had Yuli Gurriel. I think he was my player of the week last week. Well, you know what? Even though uh, our le- the Astros left fielder went 0 for 4 yesterday, uh, Michael Brantley has just been fantastic. I mean, first of all, foremost, terrific two-strike hitter, professional hitter, very few strikeouts. And again, you're not going to get a s- super amount of pop, but you're going to get consistency. So for me, he'd be a part of it. Uh, Bregman going deep. I mean, he's the only guy that's hit a home run in forever for this team, so maybe he gets consideration. And that'd be about it. Uh, I mean, again, just ha- I, I just think Jose Altuve in the leadoff spot is such a dramatic difference. So having just him off of COVID and being back in that spot, because for me, and I've said this before on my radio show, for the remainder of the 2021 season, it better be either Jose Altuve or Carlos Correa in the leadoff spot. Um, I just don't, under any circumstance, think that Miles Straw should be ever leading off. No. Uh, he just is just not enough in terms of pop. There's bad average. I understand he's got terrific speed. I think all of people that follow you and follow the Astros know that. But you can't use that speed if you're in the dugout. So, for me, he and Maldonado locking an 8-9 spot. And I know that Dusty likes to go old school with speed at the top. But... And I'm as much as old school as anything else. But you just can't give him more at-bats during the course of the game than, say, anybody else that would be behind him in the in the lineup. If you had play of the week, would it be the triple by Maldonado? Well, okay, you answer that question yourself. I mean, how, many, <laughs> how many catchers that bat less than 100 get a triple? Yeah. You know, the, I thought of something to say earlier, but then when it was my turn to speak, I forgot. But then I remembered. But we, we were kind of previewing the uh, the Ray series, and the Astros never play good over there. So we were thinking it would be good if they could at least win two. You know, maybe they'll only win one, but they've already won the first two. So that's pretty that's pretty exciting. And then the Yankees are coming up next. Very human Yankees, by the way. Uh, all their sluggers are, you know, performing well below average. And frankly, the only starting pitcher in that rotation right now that's been doing anything for them is the former Houston Astro Garrett Cole. So 
it's yeah. not nearly as a arduous task uh, to go up there. Uh, but I would have fully expect them to rebound and ultimately win that division. But they have been, you know, much like a lot of folks with that follow the Astro, they were quite concerned about how they were performing. And they're still performing that way. At least the Astros have turned the corner winning eight of their last 10. Yeah. So going back to players of the week, um, somebody that I had nominated, you know, before I kind of dove into it a little more and gave it to Yuli was Alvarez. You know, he went three for four on Monday. He had an R, one of the two RBIs in Tuesday's win, and then he went two for five on Friday. So, I mean, he's he's been doing very well, and he's not hitting home runs, but he's still hitting over 300. He's doing really, really well. Yeah, and getting around a little bit. Um, frankly, he scares me on the base paths, uh, and that's why those home run trots are a lot better to watch than the ones where he's trying to stretch a single <laughs> into a double or try to score from second base on a base hit. Yeah. He's moving around pretty well. So, um, I, I, you know, just keeping him healthy and keeping him in the lineup, uh, again, he's not the only one that's behind the uh, the home run track of previous years. So, if it was just him and everybody else was launching, you'd be perhaps a little more concerned. But for me, a 300 base average, uh, uh, batting average, an OPS above 800, and just the threat of any time a ball crosses the plate, he's going to hit it out of the yard is something I think the Astros miss. And frankly, again, he's just your perfect prototypical number four hitter. Yeah, let's move on to the pitcher. This was kind of tough because you had three guys go seven scoreless innings. One guy only had one game, and the other two had two games where they gave up two runs. So who do you give it to? You have two guys that pretty much have matching stats, and then you have the, you have, uh, the guy that only pitched once. I'll go with Lance McCullers. You, you're telling me Lance McCullers, who has had issues going deep in games, gave you six and seven this week. I think it's a no-brainer selection. So for him, not only going deep, good strikeouts, pitch count much better. And the thing about Lance that has gotten him so much, at least when it's not been good Lance, is the fact that he gets into high pitch counts early in games. And that wasn't the issue either way around. So uh, for me, you're getting 13 innings and two starts on Lance McCullers when you would take probably three starts to get it, maybe even four to get that length. For me, it's Lance McCullers. Yeah, and ju- just to give him some props for the coffee stain game, I'm going to go with Javier. Seven innings, no runs. He probably pitches today more than likely. Yeah, he does. Just going off the order, he does. So. We go Yuli and Brantley and Javier and uh, Lance McCullers. That's pretty good. So we got multiple winners. So now we can move on to Fair or Foul. Are you ready for this? Let's go. All right, folks. Let's get ready for Fair or Foul. Get ready. It's time for Fair or Foul. All right, Matt. Here we go. Okay. Number one. Seven inning no hitters should count as no hitters in the record book. Foul. I agree as well. Somebody made some points like if a 60 game World Series counts, then that should count. Uh, but I think I put no. I, I, when somebody was asking about that, I put no because it's not really a complete game. No, I think a no hitter is 27 outs performed by one starting pitcher in a game. You know, it was funny because we were um, 
Ken Emanuel goes eight and two thirds last week, right? And mm-hmm. he replaces Joe, Jaco Derizzi. And we were having a conversation on my radio show about, well, what if Odorizzi started the, just pitched two pitches and then left the game as compared to getting the one out? If Emanuel comes in mid count and records the out, is that a no hitter? And I, so I called one of the official scorers for the Astros and he believes, and we've not triple and quadruple checked this, but he believes that would not be a no hitter because a no hitter, a would, you know, you can have a combined no hitter and you can have a no hitter that it would be considered a combined no hitter because it was more than one pitcher that threw, even though, uh, Oder and our uh, Emmanuel recorded that out. So yeah, you know, baseball is fun that way. Baseball is quirky little rules and interpretations and um, old school rules, new school rules. For me, first of all, I despise seven inning doubleheaders. I understand why you did it last year because it was sixty games. It was a fluky season. You didn't want to wear out guys. Short season, travel issues, blah 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 blah. This is a full one sixty two, and for me. I believe that doubleheaders, regardless of whether they're planned or they're because of their weather changes or whatever, should be nine innings. So as far as I'm concerned, as good as Madison Bumgarner was, he got 21 outs. He did not throw a no-hitter. So what about the Kent Emanuel game if uh, Odorizzi would have allowed a hit? Like, he didn't get that first out. Would that have been a complete game? If See, it wouldn't have, right? Because the, no. somebody somebody batted. Correct. Because even, yeah, even if he would, let's say that Odorizzi gave up a single. Yeah. And Emmanuel threw him out at first, or they, he caught, was caught stealing and only recorded 27 outs. That would not be a complete game. A complete game is, uh, well, actually, let me think. It's nine it, innings. It, it, yeah. Well, so, a complete game is nine innings, but the term complete is the entire game. Is the entire game with one pitcher. Yeah. I think everything, frankly, changes. When a second pitcher is thrown in the mix. Yeah. What was so impressive about Emmanuel's performance, and he was my pitcher of the week last week, is that he wasn't ready. I mean, he said he's getting ready to sit down and drink his coffee, and he had to chug it and then warm up in front of everybody, and it was his debut. I mean, that was a pretty amazing performance. Well, it's funny because I had Kent on my radio show on Tuesday, and I said, what was that like with the whole world waiting for you? Because that's what we were doing, right? I mean, yeah. he wasn't ready, and you're supposed to get as much time as necessary. And I said, well, you know, he says that was the fastest he ever warmed up. And think about it. If if you and I were in his spot, we'd be, I mean, beyond nervous, Robert. I mean, it would be like there are 20,000 people watching in the stadium or thereabouts. There's obviously thousands and thousands of people on television. You've got the dugouts. You've got the manager. You have the umpires. That's not the way you're supposed to warm up. That's not the way you're supposed to to get ready to go pitch in a game, especially for a guy that's a rookie, technically. And um, I just thought he had huge stones for able to to not only pitch as well as he did, but to finish the game. I mean, when you you lose your starting pitcher after the first batter of the game, that smells – like a game that's going to be using four or five relievers. And back to my point earlier, you don't want to burn your bullpen out this early in the season. And so Emmanuel was the hero that day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I reported this last time that when he came into the game, Blummer and uh, TK was like, hopefully the Astros can get a couple of innings out of this guy. So nobody expected what he did. It was, that's why it was so amazing. 
And oh, then, was, yeah, mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah. All right. So number two, this is this will hit home for you a little bit here. And this is something that I mean, man, it must have been must have been six, seven years ago when I was thinking about this. But UH, University of Houston, should be in the Big 12. Oh, look at you doing this to me. <laughs> By the way, I love this segment. I could do fair and foul all the time. Uh, well, of course I'm going to say fair. Of course I'm going to tell you that U of H is every bit as relevant as Kansas State. Every bit as relevant. Now, granted, Baylor won a national championship in basketball, so kudos to them. But, there, I mean, look, the heavyweights in the conference are clearly Texas and Oklahoma. I don't think anybody can argue that. Big state schools, huge alumni, lots of money pouring in. But there's no reason why the University of Houston can't. And it's frankly ridiculous that the Big Ten, that the, that the Big 12 was able to get a conference championship game based off of a 10 team league. So I hope things change. But I'm telling you, Robert, unfortunately, I think that ship has sailed, at least for the foreseeable future. It's a shame uh, because I think the University of Houston athletically, I mean, look at the basketball team goes to the Final Four. Look, the football team hasn't been particularly relevant the last handful of years, but this is, you know, not too long ago, we were all celebrating a victory over Florida State in the Peach Bowl in a New Year's Six game. There's no reason why the University of Houston cannot absolutely compete with everything in that Big 12 conference. I just frankly believe they don't want to because they're afraid that some kids that are in the Houston area that are insistent on going to a Power 5 school know they can't stay at home to go to one at this point. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they should be. I mean, the Big 12 only has 10 teams. Why are they called the Big 12? They need to change their name. They should call <laughs> themselves They should call themselves the Big 12 that's afraid to make it 11. Yeah. I mean, I don't know who would be the other team. I was hoping, like, uh, UTSA. Because, I mean, oh, UTSA... Oh, let's not get crazy. No, no, I would no, think... no. I'm saying, like, UTSA is, like, as far as the number of students, is pretty big. And yeah, but it all but comes down but to... But it all comes down to athletic budgets, and UTSA's athletic budget is is right. pennies on the dollar. So, to me, the two who, that who make would be the, the other guy, the two that make the most sense, in my opinion, one would be probably Cincinnati, and one would probably be BYU. Would be the two that make sense. Maybe Central Florida would be in the mix as well. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I think Cincinnati carries more cachet, and I think certainly BYU does because not only do they, it's a part of the country that they're not in but it also carries a huge fouling because of the religious uh, aspect to it. Yeah. I remember when uh, Oklahoma actually played Houston in uh, Energy Stadium because I yeah. went to that and Houston won. And that's kind of around the time that they were talking about this. And that's what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be Houston and Cincinnati and maybe BYU, but it was for sure Houston and they were really good. You know, y'all had beaten some good teams and kind of fell off at the end, but. I would like to see the Big 12 be 12 teams again because I'm an OU guy, so I'm a Big 12 guy. So, Well, I want you to use your power and influence to get my Cougars in. Can you do that for me? I'll try. I don't have any influence, but I'll try. You All know, right, here's the sake of this podcast. It's, it's a growing podcast. Once we get to like a billion followers or downloads, <laughs> you'll have that kind of power. Yeah, we'll see. All right, so number three, I've been wanting to bring this up, but I kind of saved it for you. Oh, hopefully you don't get too uncomfortable with it. Politics and sports, fair or foul? Foul. Double, triple, quadruple, like like bunt, foul, strike three, you're out. I, um, 
I do not intentionally talk about politics. I mean, if you were to take, say I'm on five, three hours a day, five days a week, 15 hours, that's let's say 75 hours a month. If you were to take 75 hours of my radio show and listen to it, you might hear a political conversation of the 75 hours from no more than about three minutes a month. Uh, first of all, we are completely divided as a country. Uh, I feel like, you know, 45% believe one thing, 45% believe another thing. And those and those two groups of 45 are never going to change their opinions about anything. It's mm -hmm. the 10% that goes back and forth. So I don't frankly want to piss off 45% of my audience by anything I would say or believe politically. So I don't do it. Now, others have done so, and that's their decision, and that's because either they're more passionate about politics. Frankly, for me, I'm just not passionate about it, I, and that may be a character weakness on my part, but I just don't like talking about it. I think it's very personal. There's always three things in my life, Robert, I believe are, are the keys to life when it comes to conversation. One, don't talk about your politics. Two, don't talk about your religion. And three, don't talk about how to raise your kids or other people's kids. So I yeah. use that kind of my motto, and that's the reason why I don't ever bring it up. I know there have been a lot of things that have been said and done by athletes that you would think would need reaction, and there are some shows that do that. I'm just not one of them. So uh, that again, that's a, that's a personal decision that I have made, and I think ultimately, when people come to my radio show, they want sports, they want to laugh a little bit, they want some entertainment, they want some guests. They're not coming from my political opinion, just like when I watch um, a television show or an award show, whether it be conservative or liberal or anything out of that. I don't particularly care what my favorite actor's political opinion is. Just give me yeah. a good performance. So that's how I feel my show should be. Give me a good performance. Yeah, you the uh, the award shows are really bad. It, you know, it's like if you're a conservative, like watching those shows you're just thinking well this isn't for me like they don't even like me so am i watching it but the politics and sports one thing that i was thinking about when i thought of this question was how they moved the all-star game what do you think about that you know uh, not living in georgia i can't speak to that so much um, I have read a little bit about it. Um, but what's that going to change? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, they're punishing the state or the city or whatever or moving the game. But Well, I mean, let's go to what they did in the NBA. They did the same exact thing in Charlotte for the All-Star game a few years back. Um, and then that forced the state to make some changes. And then the NBA game came back to Charlotte. So what I think they're thinking is we don't like your policy. And if you want our game to come be in your state, in your city, you're going to have to change your policy. Now, the question is, do you theoretically believe in that policy? If you do, then you are bravo to Major League Baseball. If you don't, then you're like, if you don't want to play by our rules, we don't need you. So, again, it's in that which part of the 45% are you on? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why I would hope that politics wouldn't re, you know rear its ugly head into sports, but that's just the latest example of that. So that's what Atlanta and that's what Georgia has to understand is that you know getting games anymore, getting events, 
it comes with a lot of baggage, whether you want to have it or not. Right. All right, let's go to a food question. Oh, yeah. By the way, can we do this every week? Can you call me up every morning, every Sunday, and do fair or foul? This is my favorite thing. I'm going to have to steal this from my radio show. Do it. All right. This this is the hardest part of, to come up with these questions. Well, I want to do more of it. <laughs> All right. Number four, anchovies on pizza. I despise anchovies. No. May I flip one back to you? Yes. Pineapple on pizza. Foul. Fair. I don't like it. Fair for me, you got to cook it, though. I like I like a nice, uh, heavily cooked, like, you know, with a little uh, darkening on the top of the pepper, on the uh, on the pineapple. So, yeah. All right. I got you. I just don't like anchovies, so. Well, here's the backstory for me. How You know what's funny is I don't put salt on food. And That's good for you. It's good for your blood pressure. <laughs> and anchovies taste like a big ball of salt. It's so salty. You don't but put salt on French fries? I put salt on French fries and hash well, browns. Well, then you can't say that you don't put salt on food. You're a fraud. I, I mean, it's just two things. I don't put it on everything. Right. I put pepper on a lot of stuff, though. I like love pepper. pepper, love salsa. Salsa should be a national condiment, by the way. <laughs> so the, the anchovy story is when I was a kid, when my... my parents would order pizza my dad liked anchovies and so nobody would eat his pizza because you know you're little kids and you think anchovies are gross and so you'd pick them off but you still get some taste of it and i guess just little by little i i acquired the taste and i really like it i really like anchovies on pizza it's really good a better question would be what is the strangest food that you eat and i would think the answer clearly for you would be anchovies yeah Yesterday I had a crawfish, and I didn't even know how to eat them. And they were everybody at the table. They were sucking the yeah. heads out, and I just couldn't do it. Couldn't no, do it. it's it's okay. If you want to give me a crawfish etouffee, you want to make some fried crawfish, you want to put it in a gumbo. I'm all for that. But I'm I don't when I go to eat, I don't want it to be a procedure where I have to burn calories just to eat. So for me, I have zero interest in eating. You know, crawfish. Now, I know that my wife loves it. My son, my one of my oldest sons loves it. So, you know, to each his own. But to me, it's just too much work. What about crab legs? That's a lot of work, but I like a it. A lot of work. Not going to do it. <laughs> I, as much work as I want to do is peeling the shrimp off of a uh, cock, uh, shrimp cocktail oh, yeah, yeah. or an all-you-can-eat shrimp kind of thing. That's about as far as I'll go. Yeah, pill and eat shrimp. I'll give that a fair. Yeah, for sure. All right, number five. March Madness is better than the NBA playoffs. I say fair because I don't watch NBA. Okay, well, I am a huge NBA guy, so I will go foul. But it doesn't mean I don't appreciate March Madness. So, uh, having gone, I went to the Final Four to see the Cougars play Baylor. That was kind of an unfortunate trip, but it was still a great experience. Uh, the pageantry of a March Madness game, especially when you're back, well, hopefully in a couple of years or next year, back to full arenas and splitting up fan bases and whatnot, that's awesome. Uh, but, man, a seven-game series. If I could take you... With me a couple of years ago when I was doing the PA and doing the radio for the Rockets and Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, and I think I could probably change your mind. Well, we'll have to see about that. That's that's one thing that turned me off about NBA was it's getting very political. And it's like, to me, it's like, I want to watch a game. I don't want to know your political views. I know Correct. 
I know this is your stage, but it's your stage to play basketball. You can do your political views at home on, you know, go on a radio show, go on a talk show, but, but don't do it at the game. I don't, I don't want to hear your politics and basketball is the worst as far as politics and their sport. That is correct. That is by far. And I think it's, it's a big, big risk uh, because let's be brutally honest. Uh, if you don't get the television ratings, you don't get the big television contracts and Turner and ESPN are writing these crazy, crazy checks. And they're not going to write those crazy, crazy checks if their ratings are down 20%. And I don't think it's because the play of the competition is particularly bad. In fact, I think the NBA is the beautiful game right now. I just think there's been a lot of people, especially with an older demographic, that just get turned off by messages on T-shirts and on floors and whatnot. So I think slowly but surely you're going to see less and less of that. Uh, in the NBA because they know they've got to get their television rating back some ratings back yeah. somehow some way. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. It's like you're talking about the 45 and the 45. If you're expressing political views, you know, because NBA is left. It's you know, let's be honest, they're left, and you know they make they make the people that are on the right. And I'm I'm on the right, but I'm not an extremist. I'm not even political like you said earlier i'm i'm not very political at all actually i'm zero political i've never even voted that's how non-political i am but i don't, I don't want to see your politics i just want to well I, I just don't want for any sport to turn off 45 percent of its audience potential audience yeah that's the problem and i can say that about a restaurant i can say that about a movie theater i could say that about a library um, I, I want to be as inclusive as possible. And for me, with so much, so many turbulent times that we're, we're going through and have been through the last couple of years, I want sports to be my getaway. That's, I'm, that's just my opinion. There are other people that exactly. believe, man, you have a voice, use it. And they applaud that. That's at 45%. And so it just depends on what side of the spectrum you're on and teach his own. Again, there could be a lot of people, Robert, you could have on this show. Uh, that would say, man, I I, I'm, I applaud that XYZ athlete has taken his platform and said, I've got a voice. You hear me. I want to tell you how I feel. So hopefully you'll listen to me. And there are other people that are like, you know what? We love you playing basketball. We love the artistry that you create on the court or on the field or on the, in the, on the diamond. But how you feel about a particular issue or a particular candidate is really your own personal thing. And that's how I feel. And that's why I don't like politics, regardless if it's left or right or center or extreme one way or the direction. Yeah. I don't care. But I but I, I don't know if I'm in the minority. I'm just telling you I'm in that percentage that absolutely believes that everything should be dealt individually, topic by topic, conversation by conversation. But most importantly, I don't want my athletes and I don't want my sports courts and my fields telling me how I should feel or who I should support and who I should not support, regardless of, of party affiliation or philosophy. All right, Matt, that's all I got for you. I'll let you go ahead and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. And I'm really glad you enjoyed fair or foul. It's always been a real popular segment of the show. Well, I don't know if you're going to win an Emmy or an Academy award, but I fully expect if you do win some sort of regional podcast award that I get the proper credit because I have absolutely added more to this segment than perhaps any of your previous people have <laughs> ever added. 
That's true. We've been talking for 21 minutes for five with five questions. Perfect. That's the perfect way to do the show. Yeah. All right. Well, go ahead and steal it for the radio show if you need to. Just give me some credit or, you know, I can come on and do it with you. Let's not get crazy. All right. Let's not get crazy. <laughs> I'll uh, Whatever the ones I have for the week, I'll send them to you. Perfect. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks a lot for coming on and everybody else. Thanks for uh, tuning in and we'll see you next time on Astros Baseball. Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Be sure to subscribe to be alerted when there's a new episode. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.